Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and super pumped for another amazing conversation. Today, I am going to be speaking with Julie Cole, who is a recovered lawyer, a mom of six, and co-founder of Mabel's Labels. She is also a published author, keynote speaker, engaged community member, and winner of countless entrepreneur awards. In Julie's latest, latest book, Like a Mother, she shares her inspirational stories and lessons learned through parenting her lively crew of kids and building a multi-million dollar business with her co-founders. Julie is a regular television contributor and award-winning author. Her writing has been featured in the Globe and Mail, Profit Magazine, Today's Parent, Working Mother Magazine, Parenting.com, and countless others. She has also appeared on NBC's The Today Show, CNN, HLN's Raising America, Breakfast Television, The Maryland Dennis Show, CP24, and City Line. Welcome to the show, Julie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I don't know. As I'm even reading that bio out loud, I'm feeling tired. I'm like, how does Julie <laughs> have the time to do all of these things? It's amazing. <laughs> you know, sometimes when I hear it read, I'm like, ah, that's why I'm a little tired by the end of the day. Ah, and that explains it. <laughs> Um, so Julie, I love, I mean, even if we start from the very beginning, when we hear recovered lawyer, I'm already very intrigued, but tell me a little bit more about your journey. And when you start to tell your story and your journey, you get to start wherever you are, want some guests start back at two-year-old Julie, high school, (laughs) Julie, or career, Julie, um, wherever you want to start, but to give our guests an opportunity, our audience, an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you and your journey. Right. Well, I think it's probably good to start around um, why Mabel's Label started and why I'm a recovered lawyer and not a practicing lawyer. Um, so let's start there. I um, I had finished law school and I, I never really thought I would do the entrepreneurial journey. I was um, thinking I would be a family law lawyer all my life, kind of legal aid. I was working for a women's legal service. And um, what happened was, along with my co-founders, we had this really good idea for a product that was missing from the market. So whatever, it was kind of bubbling away. Like, you know, we had little kids and there wasn't anything to label their stuff with. And we were using permanent marker. We're like, this is no good. So anyway, we had this little idea bubbling along. Um, But then what happened was my eldest of my three children, at the time I had three, and he had just turned three. So it was a busy household anyway. And he was diagnosed with autism. So at that point, I didn't think that the traditional workforce was going to suit me or my family anymore. I wanted to be able to have the flexibility in my work to be able to advocate for him, set up an ABA program for him, do all the things that I could set him up for success because, you know, I love my children, but I did not 
well, I did, I did know I wanted to be an empty nester at some point. So I wanted to make sure I got him ready to leave my house. That was my goal. <laughs> Already so, at three, um, you were had the four. Even at three, I knew I wanted him gone at some point. <laughs> so I was like, I got to do all the work now. So that's when um, I went to my co-founders who are my sister and then my sister-in-law and another friend from university who actually married a young uncle of mine. So I became my aunt, which funny backstory, story of origin, hilarious. So um, that's when I said, hey, what do you guys think about our just starting our label company? And they're like, let's do this. And that, I mean, we just had our 20, actually in March, we'll have our 21st birthday. So We've had many years of label making fun. And, you know, I like to have a little braggable moment, say that my son just graduated from the University of Guelph and he is, um, oh, he's a great, he's a great guy. He's got loads of friends. He drives, he loves to box. He does, he just traveled through Australia on his own. He's a wonderful big brother, a wonderful friend and a wonderful son. So he's now he's applying from grad school. So Mabel's Labels has um, experienced a lot of success over the years, and so have my little darlings, which is the reason it started. And I often joke that on my deathbed, I will say he's my life's greatest achievement, and the other five are okay, too. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And as someone who is a mom of two kids, and when they were little, I was so excited when I noticed that Mabel's Labels existed, and I thought it was the best thing ever. Yay. Also a purchaser and a consumer of this amazing product. Right on. So, okay, let's just even start there because I love the four of you came together. There was definitely passion. You saw that there was a definitely a need in the marketplace for a product. And then when we start to have a business, there's the the business in terms of running a business, but then there's usually a bunch of humans that come into the business. And that's the part that I always find is very interesting to navigate. And it's not one or the other. We need both because without business and strategy and outcomes and all of that kind of stuff, then there is no business, but without the people and the humans, there's also not a business. So they're both so integrated. So tell me around what that started to look like. And I'm even curious in terms of the building phase, I'm sure you started with just you four and then it started to build and you're having a lot more employees. Yeah, for sure. And that, that is probably one of the most interesting parts of the business because, you know, we started in my sister's basement, you know, the four of us were going in twice a week and making the labels till 2am and whatever, and doing and returning emails and phone calls and kind of divide and conquer with four business partners. It was, it was helpful to be able to, you know, assign tasks. I see a lot of my solo entrepreneur friends who have to do it all. So that I think definitely contributed to our early success. Um, also to your point, it's a product that made sense to parents. So from a marketing perspective, they're like, you know, when people saw it out in the wild, they're like, Oh, I need to have that for my kids. Um, so I remember the first time we hired somebody, it was a cousin of ours who was home from university for the summer. And we were like, Hey, do you want to work for us for the summer? She said, sure. And afterwards we were like, what would we have done if we didn't have her? So, you know, she did everything. She made labels, she answered calls, she answered emails, all that jazz. So We outgrew the first basement. And then rather than getting a commercial space at that point, we told my sister to buy a bigger house with a bigger basement. (laughs) (laughs) And and she did. And we thought we'd be in that basement for five years. We lasted two years. And I can remember, 
you know, a few more employees joining then. And, you know, at one point I was sitting on the floor because we'd run out of space and I'm working away on my laptop, sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor. And somebody's like, wait, you own the company. I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then that's, you know, eventually moved into the space we are in now, which is a 20,000 square foot production facility. And that's where it homes our marketing team, our IT, our customer service, everyone. It's our Mabel's HQ and it's in Hamilton. Um, but it's interesting because once we started hiring people, we were like, oh, do you know anything about HR? No, you no, nothing. And so we really did um, have to do a couple of things then. One was we needed to learn, you know, about the law and like how, what, you know, and, and how to create a cool environment and how to have things in place so that we're a fair employer. So we had to do that. And we did find actually in those early days, um, and I, I do recommend this for entrepreneurs often, that contractors are your best friend because it's 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 kind of hard to hire somebody for HR when you need somebody to do like right policy, but then also do high level hires. It's a very, and now we have a full-time, obviously a full-time HR person, but it's still, it's very generalist. They have to really roll up their sleeves sometimes and do the nitty gritty, but then also do some high level stuff. So it's an interesting thing when you work for a company that's kind of mid-sized from an HR perspective. So um, we did, uh, one of us, my sister actually went into some HR courses and then um, and, and so we did learn, and that was the thing we found about owning a company and starting a company is that, you know, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable because as soon as you think, you know, what you're doing, you experience growth. And, and, so, and one of those was having, having people. And I will say that a couple of things happened with having people. One was that there's an incredible sense of responsibility. You know, suddenly I'm like, we need to make sales because these people are feeding their humans. They are like saving for retirement. These are people's lives on the line now. So the whole shift of responsibility of it just being us and, you know, we, you know, we have an appetite for risk. We're entrepreneurs, we take chances, but then you hire people who need J-O-Bs and they need to, you know, a lot of them were like worker bees coming in, making labels. They need to pay the rent. They need to do those sorts of things. And I found there was an incredible sense of responsibility that came with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, and I also hear in you and your values, and we'll talk a little bit more about this because I think you're just so much, so much, very, very, community focus and um, just looking at what's going on socially and how to make sure that people are being taken care of. I don't know that everybody necessarily looks at things from that same lens in terms of that. I just hear your integrity and compassion and care for others showing up and what you said there. So walk me through, you know, you're at the stage now, larger organization, from where you were when you were in that garage with the four of you, what are some of the things that you noticed in terms of creating a culture, making decisions when it comes to hiring, um, creating an environment where people do want to go to work and thrive and reach their full potential? What are some of those lessons you've learned? That's such a, that's such a good question. And it's something that's really quite close to our hearts there at Mabel's Labels. And see the thing, the unique thing that happens when you start a company is that you can kind of create the culture in your own image, like what you want, right? You're not reporting to the man. So for us, you know what, we started this business 
in, you know, we were doing play dates and doing business plans at the same time. And, you know, I could, I, I had the flexibility to go to the apple orchard with the JK class, but, you know, of course I would be working, uh, you know, till 11 o'clock at night, but I liked that flexibility. And I think what we did, you know, in the early days we thought, oh, well, if we're a company, we should be doing things the way companies do things. But then we quickly pivoted to be like, no, we know that we can be highly productive at unusual times and unusual places. So why wouldn't we extend this to our staff? So we did a lot of research. We ended up doing a results-only work environment, which meant that we didn't measure people by presenteeism. You sitting at your desk from nine to five did not impress us. It was whether you were getting done what needed to get done. And it didn't involve micromanaging, but it involved being a more effective manager and leader and having goals and checking in and doing the, not checking up, checking in, right? So, um, and it, it meant like people had the freedom to, you know, not lie. They didn't have to lie because they want to go to their Christmas, kids' Christmas concert. They wouldn't be like, I'm sick. They would just go and then tell us about it, which is the culture that we wanted. People didn't have to like minimize if they were on Facebook. If they're getting their goals done, we don't care if they're on Facebook at work. In fact, go for it. Hopefully they're talking about all the fun things we're doing at Mabel's Labels, right? So there, there was that, and um, and we did find it to be very effective. You know, treat adults like adults, and they act like adults. We had, you know, take days off whenever you felt like it, and nobody abused it. It was so interesting. And the other thing too, I think, for a company of our size, like we weren't able to pay like the big you know, big salaries, like we were still starting out, but we could provide value in other ways. And I think having that culture and having that flexibility um, was one of the things that our employees valued. Mm. I hear so many powerful things in what you just shared there. I mean, ultimately what I heard underneath everything you're saying was a culture really built on trust, um, which who doesn't want to feel trusting. And it's so interesting because I, I share a lot of statistics and research around this. That, um, and so we have the data to support this, that people will actually take less salary to be in an empathetic workplace where there is trust, where there is autonomy, where they feel like um, they can do what they want it. They can, they can do what they need to do without feeling like they're micromanaged. And so when I hear you sharing that, you're, you're such a poster child, Julie, of what I say around what it looks like to be a human environment and to be people first, as opposed to profit first. And guess what? When you're people first, it just leads to 100%. it leads. Yeah. To I mean, your, your, your staff, your team, they're your best brand ambassadors, right? And the other thing, when you create that, like talk about your bottom line, your retention is good. I mean, you know, I mean, you could probably speak to this way better than I can about how much it costs when you turn over staff, right? Like you get somebody in, you train them, you go through the process and then they're gone because they don't like the work environment or they feel micromanaged or the leadership is poor. What do they say? They don't, people don't quit companies, they quit managers, right? So you want to make sure that the leadership is strong and empathetic and, you know, having a woman run company. And even now, like years later, our CEO is a woman and again, very empathetic leader doesn't take any nonsense, but very empathetic. Um, and that is what keeps, I mean, we call Mabel's Labels Hotel California because like people never want to leave, right? <laughs> 
Yes, yes, yes. And I like that distinction that you just made, because I talk about this a lot when it comes to emotional intelligence. Empathetic does not mean holding boundaries and not being assertive. It's actually when it's done effectively, an emotionally intelligent leader is holding on to both. Because what I actually see is sometimes when the empathy swings too far the other way, to the detriment of both the individual and like not just that leader, but the individual as well, because when you're not holding boundaries and not helping that individual to take self ownership, that's not serving them either. Right. And so being able to have direct conversations, say what needs to be said and holding that with empathy is what you want to, I, what I really want to see for organizations in terms of that integration of the emotional intelligence. I love that. And I feel like the other thing that's been very effective for us is that, you know, we have our company core values and they're more than just like a sign on the wall or, you know, they, we integrate them into our um, hiring process. And like, so we know who we want to get on the bus, the kind of people we want to get on the bus and then the kind of people we don't want on our bus that aren't going to be a fit. So I think hiring to your culture is really really important as well. Um, because you want to make sure it's a fit for both who wants to waste anyone's time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing that I was hearing as well, when you were talking about where people are, you know, going off to the field trip or being there for the Christmas party or whatever it may be is when people are not doing that and being in roles that they don't feel like they have the permission to do that, they start to feel tons of guilt. They feel disconnected, sometimes even shame because they're not actually getting to live in alignment with who they are and honor their values. Never mind the whole conversation, Julie, we could get into in terms of being community minded in our family and what we're doing and creating in terms of the next generation, which I think you do so beautifully with your family of, of your six kids and your whole family is those decisions don't make per- people have to make the sacrifice. Well, it's either my job or my kids. I can't do both. So I mean, I need to have a job to be able to support my family. So I'm going to have to say no to these things which then impacts that family dynamic and those relationships, which has a huge toll and a huge cost emotionally, mentally, um, all the things on what's happening in that dynamic. So when you're creating the environment you're creating, you're not putting people into a situation where they have to make those choices. Oh, I love that, Kristen. And you know what? The other thing that goes along with that is that you don't all, you then don't also have like this workplace of where people are policing each other, right? Because people worry about their own goals. And of course they collaborate and do that sort of thing, but they're not watching other people's comings and goings because it's really not their business and they don't. And, and, and it's so great because we all know that corporate feeling of, okay, so you know, I use the example of like, you know, you're a mom of two little kids, you get up, you get yourself ready for work. You're driving one to daycare, one to kindergarten, a baby vomits, you need to like go home, get yourself sort situated. Hopefully you have a grandma you can drop the kid off to. So you get to the office at like nine 30 and people say to you, huh, nice of you to join us today. So it's automatically demoralizing. You've already put in a full day's work, getting your humans like, and then to walk into that, it's called sludge in the row, like when you just get sludged with things like that and in an environment where, um, you know, you're, you're not, you're not getting valued on your presenteeism, but on your, your productivity, then it it does away with that, with that sludge. So that's always a really great thing 
particularly to your point, like working parents, um, you know, and a lot of people are taking care of like elders or neighbors, like even people who don't have children, there's pet care, there's neighbor care, there's nieces and nephews. There's like, you're, there's so much, your aunties and uncles, you have, you have your caregivers too. And there, there comes responsibility with that. And, uh, you know, I, I prefer to have a work environment that acknowledges that and, and respects it. Absolutely. People are dealing with so many things outside of work that I think a lot of people even aren't aware of the multitude of things that they're dealing with outside of work. And for anyone who is new to um, row or results only work environment, I highly suggest you look into this. My experience working with a lot of organizations specifically during the pandemic was oh, we can't, like people can't work from home. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, actually they can. And they created efficiencies and there's a whole bunch of other things. Then what I've seen happen once the pandemic shifted and we could go back into the office, so many organizations reverting back to dysfunctional behavior or uh, dysfunctional patterns, which are again, taking away, eroding the trust, right? It's taking away the trust again and saying, Sorry, sorry. We we it's actually a very, don't believe. <laughs> it's a very patriarchal yes. um, system. That's what that is. Yeah. Um, that works. Be- that worked best for men in the fifties and sixties who were, um, but it doesn't work for families now. E- even a lot of like fathers are being like, you know what? When I was at during the pandemic, yeah. I was like home for dinner every night. Like I saw my, I knew what my children were doing. I could even, you know, that hour they're not spending on the train, they could do a workout. Like people are noticing that they could be more efficient. And I'll tell you one of the benefits of us um, was that like, when the pandemic hit and all these companies were scrambling, we were like, our people know how to work from home. We've got the tech, we're already set up. So we slid into it like it was no big deal. There was no big tech adjustment that had to be done. Everybody was set up to work from home when they needed to. Yes, of course, there are times, you know, we want everybody in the office because we have a bunch of meetings where we want to have a collaboration day or whatever, but we just are strategic about that and, and, on, you know, honor people's schedules and try to be consistent around those days. Um, but I think too, like a lot of that, a lot of that wanting people back in the office is about a appearances, again, judging on presenteeism and not productivity. And I think it comes down to people being like, but I'm paying so much rent in these big places. Yes. Like why I want it yes. filled with humans, right? Yeah. Like, I think that yeah. comes down to that too. Like, look at all those towers in downtown, like Bay yeah. street and like in city cores, like who's going to pay the bills to keep those if ever nobody's paying rent. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that in there. I think you're right. I think, thank you for bringing up the patriarchal systems. Cause that's something I think we need to break down and we need to, we need to change those systems it's not working for, for a lot of people, men and women, especially if we want to look at, which I want to hear your thoughts on this, um, having more females in leadership. I mean, the the last statistic I look at was around five to 6% of CEOs and fortune 500 companies are females and that needs to change. However, I want to have way more females, uh, as CEOs or any marginalized group at being able to be those CEOs. But the challenge is even once we say, sure, we want to have more people in that position, creating systems within the organization to be able to support people if they are going to leave and have kids or um, mentoring or having those people who are sponsoring them and speaking up for them when they're not in the room. To me, it's like there's multi-layered things that need to change in order to set that up. 
Yeah, there's a there's a lot of work to be done because uh, I believe there are more CEOs in Canada named James than there are female CEOs. I mean, yeah. So there we go. Like we yeah. need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's work to be done. You're right, but there's so much. I mean, there are so many layers to it, and it even starts like with our with our kids and like who they're seeing, like our and and having. Um, you know, uh, like maternity leaves, paternity leaves, parental leaves, whatever, like there's so much that has to be done that can help support women. Because I know a lot of successful women who worked really hard and they're like, if I knew I was going to get dragged for having kids, I wouldn't have even bothered going through med right. school or law school. Like right. I went through so much hell to get here and now I can't even do it because I have no support. Yes. And it's, yeah, like yes. there's a lot of work that needs to be done, yeah. both like on a government level, on a workplace level, like there's, yeah. Yes. Yep. There's lots of, and we're here for opportunities it. and possibilities for change, which I like. Yes. Right? I like the way you put that. <laughs> um, so tell me, Julie, as a mom of six and having the responsibilities working. And then of course, everything that goes on with having a family. And then also you're your own human who has all of the different things that show up in your world. Um, what does that integration look like for you? How have you been able to manage it? And I'm sure it's probably a work in progress. Um, but what does that look like for you? Yeah, it is. Look, it's um now it feels, it feels very easy now because my kids are much older. I have you know, the youngest is 14 and the oldest is 23. So, you know, I've got kids away at university. I've got, but there's still, I mean, <laughs> there's still stuff. And I just had, you know, everybody home for the holidays and it was a madhouse and feeding them all. Um, you know, I think a couple of things that I did, and, you know, I talk a, about this in my book a lot. I talk a lot about sort of managing the mother load and all the things. And I did things like I got help, you know, I got a nanny, albeit I got a nanny when my fifth kid turned one. So that was three kids too late. Cause I got caught up in that thing that we do, which is I have to do all the things and uh, you don't. Um, I, I'm really good at saying no. Uh, that's been helpful. I say no to my kids a lot. You know, if they forget their lunch, I don't bring it to them at school. It's not mean. It's just a natural consequence. If they forget their gym clothes, they'll have to sit on the bench um, because I could spend my life chasing six kids around with forgotten things, right? So I, I don't have that kind of time. And then I need them to respect my time. And um, again, not punishment. It's just how it is. I say no to events. I have a 10-point checklist before I say yes to doing anything. Wow. Um, and it's got to be something that goes along with our brand and that will elevate Mabel's labels or will contribute to our core values. So there are a lot. I don't have a you know, I, I suggest rather than having a big to-do list, have a do not do list. What are you doing that other people can be doing at work, at home? Yeah. Maybe at work, you have a no drive-by policy. You don't get to just keep popping your head in my office. Every time you have a question, you have to book me because I found sometimes I go, I leave the day and I, I got nothing done because, you know, Hey, Julie, what do you think about this? Hey, Julie, what do you think about that? And it's, it's not a no, like I'm not going to talk to you, but it's a, Hey, book me so that I can get my own stuff done. I do the same with like, Julie, can I pick your brain? It's like, yes, this is the day that I allow people to pick my brain. And it's one day every six weeks. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, no, you may not pick my brain because I'm not a paid consultant. I'm happy to give back, 
but I also have to make labels and raise humans. Yeah. So it's about understanding your own boundaries, respecting your own time. And in doing that, other people will too. I love that so much. I love the don't do list. I think I hear you owning the boundaries so deliberately and it's juicy. Like, even as I heard you saying that, I'm sure people are going to hear and they're going to say like, yes, like, I don't know how they couldn't, uh, as they heard you talking about it, has that always been naturally like that for you, Julie, or is that something, a skill you've built over time? Um, I probably have been a little better than most, um, but it definitely has improved because as I've gotten older and I have more on my plate professionally and I have to travel and yada, 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 then I've had to be a little bit more deliberate with things. The other thing too, and this is what really I think gets me off the hook is that I don't seem to perseverate about what people think the way most people do. So, you know, I will happily, like I host people here all the time and my house doesn't have to be immaculately clean. I don't have to have the perfect charcuterie board. I let myself off the hook all the time. When people say, can I bring something? I say, yes, I need you to bring a fruit platter. Yeah. Can I bring, like, I never say, oh no, no, I got this. Yeah. Like I never, I absolutely assign things when I would have a baby and people would say, oh, what do you need? I'd be like, I need you to take my toddler to the park for the afternoon is what yes. I need. I need you to drop off dinner for tomorrow night. Yes. I don't want any stuff. I want your time. And I had no problem saying that and telling people um, that. So I think that probably was an advantage that I just. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I heard three things with what you just shared. I heard, first of all, you're really good at owning the boundaries, but also number uh, two, you're really good at knowing your needs. I think some people haven't right. even asked themselves, like I, I could say to them tomorrow, what are your needs? What are your needs? And they'd say, I don't even know what my needs are. So I think for anybody listening, okay, you want to get better at the boundaries. And I love what Julie just said there around the, what's the do not, the do not list. And then what are your needs getting very clear on what those needs are can because how can you ask for your needs to be met when you don't know what the needs are in the first place. And then number three, I heard a lot of um, what's the word I would use for that like confidence in that I'm not here to so there was le less people pleasing with what I heard you just say that like right. I'm not out there trying to make everybody else happy and trying to mold into this version of who I need to be for everybody to like me. Nope, this is who I am. So I also heard confidence and some authenticity in you, right? Like I'm just- And it's just up. that unapologetic thing. I just think yes. about it at my funeral, do I want them talking about my immaculate house? Not right. really. Like maybe, but it's not like, I'm not very kitcheny. Like I'm not a great cook. No. It's not something I enjoy. I feed humans because they need to be fed. And even that, like, you know, again, to get stuff done, parents, if your kids, when they're like 13, one can make dinner. Like you can start yeah. assigning dinner to different, yeah. they can be packing their own lunches. You know, there are things that these, and on your do not do list can be things like unstacking the dishwasher. It can be things like that. So um, I'm a big fan of, you know, this household runs as a community, right? Just like work, you know, you need, we're a team and you don't have to do all the things, right? You can delegate at work and you can delegate at home and, you know, sit down and, and get buy-in. And I always sitting around the table and getting buy-in is going to make it more successful both at home and at work, right? Yes. 
And you're actually creating a much more empowering environment, right? Because now it was so amazing when I started to realize like, oh, my daughter can wash dishes now. <laughs> oh, what is the task? Knowing my needs is I, I don't want to be doing dishes anymore. And mommy takes Alyssa to do a lot of great shopping. So there can also be some responsibilities that are built into that. And I think there's, again, that could be a whole other conversation around some ways that we're not actually serving our kids where the pendulum went too far the other way. And so it's not allowing them to build up that resiliency, build up that sense of agency and responsibility, which is so important to get them ready for when they are going out into the world and needing to have those responsibilities. Well, that's right. And you know, I always say today's problem solvers are tomorrow's leaders, right? So you want them to like, I do not rescue them. Like I do not, they can, they need to be able to solve those little things because I don't want them calling me when they're 30 to, you know, mom, how do I bleach? Whatever. How do I like, I, not that I'd be the perfect person to call for that sort of thing, but I mean, my 14 year old does it. He's grade nine. He does his own laundry. You know, mostly my kids like doing their own laundry though, because there's so much laundry and stuff gets mixed up and they'll be like, I've never seen my black shirt again. It disappeared. <laughs> Although I did when they were little, um, the girls were all the same size, so it didn't really matter. And if they're in school uniforms, you're good. But I obviously had to use Mabel's labels on everything just so that we knew whose was what and where, when otherwise things would go into the abyss of, wow. you know, I have an old, we have our own lost and found here in my house. So we had to use Mabel's labels even at home for our own laundry. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. That makes so much sense. <laughs> Tell me about when it comes to giving back, because I think you're such a beautiful representation of what it looks like to be community minded. And I mean, I hear you even saying before you did Mabel's labels, you were what the way you wanted to get involved as a lawyer. It felt like it came from that place of contribution. And it sounds like that's very purpose driven for you, but tell me a little bit more around your philosophy when it comes to giving back and being community minded. Yeah, I think that, you know, you, you, everybody has a responsibility. Like, I just don't see it as something that like, we all should be doing something. And I just feel like I wanted to raise humans who kind of got that. Um, I want a workplace that embraces that. So we have our community relations committee. It is, it's part of our core values. And again, when you create a company, you get to integrate the things that are important to you into your company. Right. And that was one of them. And you know, it's such a great team building experience when we all go and do something for the community together. And, you know, whether it's going and sorting food at the food bank or doing something like that, like, it's just, it's really just so much fun and, and so fulfilling. And for me, um, you know, it's good role modeling to my kids and it's a way for us to do family things together. Um, and it's just, yeah, it just has to be a part and, and you can give in so many different ways. Like, you know, your time, you know, you can donate your time, you can donate your talent, what you're good at and, and your treasures, your money. So there are three ways. So you don't have money, but you might have a talent and there are different ways to contribute based on what you're able to do right now. So for me, for example, like I might not be able to go to a gala and blow up balloons all day. I don't have a whole day to go and blow up balloons, but guess what? I might be able to MC that for free. I can MC the gala. So that a way is a way to use my talent. And one day I might retire and I'll have time to go and blow balloons. That is not <laughs> my time right now, but it doesn't mean I can't give in the way that works for me. Right. So you can find a way that 
Um, whether it's your time, your treasures or your talent. Like if you're good at social media, you might say, hey, this organization, I'm going to take care of your social media for you. Um, So there's ways. All these organizations need help and everybody's got something to give, whether it's time, talent or treasures. And let's give it. I think that's so important what you said. And ultimately, we all feel uh, that sense of purpose and meaning when we're, we're, that's what we're designed to do, to be able to give in that way. And so that's another beautiful element that comes from it because that is how we're wired. We want to be able to contribute and give back. It is, it's, it, it does feel really natural. And then, you know, in the workplace, it's just such a, it, you just surrounding yourself with people who, again, align with your core values. Um, it's just, it's, it, it makes, it makes work fun. It makes, you know, your team fun. It makes them want to, and, and you know what, like, here's the thing, company owners, the market is starting to demand it. Like people want to buy from brands that give back. And that's, that's like, that's going to become a reality. And I don't mean just like rainbow washing or green washing. I mean, consumers are smart and they're starting, they can, especially my market, which is moms, they can sniff out a fake a mile away. Right. Yes. They can tell when it's performative or when you're actually yeah. doing it because it's, it's who you are and who you want to be. Exactly. I said this before we started recording that I could talk with you for hours and that's <laughs> totally the case. Um, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to leave a final thought with the audience, whatever is showing up for you in this moment. Oh, wow. Um, Oh, I guess really just to stay um, like on, in line with kind of the theme of your podcast, I would just like say, you know, your, your business is personal. Everything about business is personal and particularly your team. And if you create support um, and build an incredible team of people who align with your core values and, and you, you lead with empathy, then they will stick with you. They will be your best in brand ambassadors and you will create something truly special and it will, it will be so fulfilling. So don't worry what everybody else is doing out there. You build what, what works for you, contribute what works for you and for your company and, uh, and, or your team and just enjoy, you know, we spend too much time working and, and being with our people at work to not enjoy them. Yes. 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 Such good advice. Julie, where can people learn more about you and about Mabel's labels? Okay. Well, of course you can go and learn all about Mabel's labels at mabelslabels.com. And we have so, so many great products rolling out all the time. And we always have, like, we have such a great community too. We have, you know, a huge Instagram following and Facebook following. We have so much fun. We have a great blogging community. Um, and if you want to find out about me and see my media stuff or order my book, you can go to mabelslabels.com slash Julie Cole. And it's all there. And of course you can find me on Instagram and all the places. Nice. Nice. Thank you so much for being here today, Julie. It was such a pleasure. So great to connect. And to everyone, wherever you are in the world, we're saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, You transform your workplace and the people around you.